0: Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book writer and magnificent man Mike Shea about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. An award-winning magazine, Comic Scene is available digitally and in print in the UK, Ireland, Australia, Canada and the good old USA. Available by post, issue 14 of Comic Scene is out now and their biggest issue yet. In conjunction with Pipe Dream Comics, it contains reviews and signposts of every Indian small press comic you should own. There's also an exclusive interview with Pat Mills on Space Warp and bonus pages from the new comic anthology Shift. Stocks are limited, but get your copy today at getmycomics.com forward slash comic scene. On a side note, a couple of weeks ago I launched my sixth Kickstarter, Access Denied, which is a one-shot sci-fi adventure comic about forbidden love between an android from Mars and a human from Earth. If that tickles your fancy, then be sure to check out on Kickstarter today via signalcomics.com forward slash access, or simply click the link in the show notes. Now... Without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Mike Shea. How's it going? Good. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Um, it's uh, it's thankfully sunny here um, in uh, in southern England. Um, although raining is is forecast later, uh, but uh, we're we're very happy to see the sun. How about you?
1: Oh, you know, I I have no idea. I'm trapped in my basement for the last six months, and I have no idea what the weather is like. Do you still have weather out there?
0: yeah no it's just a, a apocalyptic nuclear storms that we get on a that was my basis. assumption
1: but you know it's uh, <laughs> i would believe anything right now
0: yeah exactly like anything can happen right right um, well uh mike <laughs> well mike um it's, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show um because as we were we were talking about before we started um we're basically the the newbie Kickstarter class of 2018. We kind of started our um, our Kickstarters at a similar time, our um, most well-known Kickstarter series. Um, and so, for the listeners that haven't come across you just yet, um, what do you do in the world of comics? Uh,
1: so I do a comic, a regular comic comes out every two months called Miskatonic High, and it's a cross of Lovecraft and uh, teenage comedy. So what we call it is um, five students are taking on Lovecraft monsters in their small town high school, and they can't decide which one is worse.
0: So good, man! Um, when it when it came out, um, like the first one, um, I was I was straight on it, um, and I've been enjoying it ever since. And right now is oh, issue number so seven, isn't it?
1: Yeah, somehow we uh, we got to seven issues, and nobody has you know called us out on our our. Uh... uh, on our stuff yet. Um, I've been told not to swear, so trying not to really hard.
0: (laughs) Appreciate that. Um, And, uh, no, I mean, you've done an amazing job with Miskatonic High. I mean, honestly, um, as you said, it comes out every two months. You managed to fulfill it all within that time. Um, Obviously, you managed to also have written the script, have the comic made. um, It's Robert Mendoza, isn't it? um is it is your artist
1: well you, you know we do have a, a whole host of little chinese kids here who are doing all the work on the comic and i'm just the front man so you know it's it's not <laughs> well, as hard as we right? make it out
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly you know, everything's easier um, with- no but you put <laughs> go on, mike <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, you know. So every everything is easier when you just have a whole host of people who are doing things that you don't give them any credit or any money for. That's been my experience. But you know, I don't, I don't know if yours is different.
0: It always makes life easier when you can uh, delegate with 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 not crediting people for their work. It, it works really. <laughs> it, well. it makes things efficient. Um, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm told. Well, it's it,
1: <laughs> it, it, it's funny when the the COVID thing struck, and you know, I was thinking, oh my goodness. I'm going to have to fulfill a comic. And for the lay people, fulfilling comics in Kickstarters, when you print all the issues and then you put them on all the envelopes and you stick all the other stuff in and you put all the postage on and you you mail them out or you put them in the post or whatever it is. And, you know, I was thinking, how am I going to do this with two little kids at home who are supposed to be homeschooling? And then I thought, you know what? Homeschool fulfillment. I mean, they got to learn, you know, manual labor so that keep them in school for as long as I can
0: amazing uh too right they've got to pay their way right
1: right you know they're just they're just eating all the food watching all the tv never giving back so you know the least they can do is help out their dear old dad with their kickstarter comic
0: oh absolutely man um and uh and for those that aren't following you already uh where can they find you online
1: uh so we are on facebook we're on twitter we're on instagram we're on kickstarter we have our own website uh miskatonichighcomic.com that's usually a good place to start um or just you know go to kickstarter and just type in high.
0: perfect and those links are of course in the show notes folks so feel free to click through as we're talking Mm. and check out mike's work and whatnot uh now all of that aside unfortunately i do have some uh bad news for you mike and that is Uh that um there's there's a zombie outbreak now we don't know if it's connected to to covid at all um Mm -hmm. but um there are zombies nonetheless um and so my my first question for you is what is your action plan for survival
1: uh you know and i i was I, i'm thinking about this and you know there's a zombie outbreak i gotta survive and i'm telling you after being trapped inside for covid for so long i've decided my survival plan is to go out and get bitten as soon as humanly possible because it's going to be so much <laughs> more fun to be a zombie than it is to survive
0: <laughs> just lean into it just go for it right
1: right you know look i've i've <laughs> I used to watch these shows, the zombie shows or read the zombie books and all that. And, you know, you would see these people trapped in bunkers or whatever for six months. And they look so happy to to be eating their food and everything. And I've been trapped in my basement for six months with food and watching TV. And it's the worst thing ever. I cannot wait to get out. You know, if you told me I could be a zombie and I can go around and just wander the countryside not having any responsibilities no job no childcare, no homeschooling you know all of that I'll eat all the brains you'll give me
0: (laughs) amazing Uh, now now that you're a zombie Mm -hmm. uh, what happens is that that you start walking around your uh, your local neighborhood and you start going a bit further afield and you come across your old uh, local comic book shop um, which is completely mm-hmm. ransacked apart from, from a few comics here and there. But for some reason it, it sparks something in your zombified brain um, <laughs> and you start asking yourself questions and and you start to wonder, what is the first comic I remember enjoying?
1: Uh, the first one that I picked up, so when I was a kid to, to date myself was... Over here, it's the third grade. I was, It was the 1984-ish. And on TV was the show called Robotech. And Robotech was the first anime show that showed up on American TV. And it was the sh- show about war and love and giants freaking out about obnoxious singers and... It was amazing. Nobody had ever seen anything like this on regular TV. You know, it was either that or the Care Bears. And so, you know, started watching that. And I went into a local convenience store, which is where people buy booze. Um, But next to that is, you know, while you're buying your booze, your kid can go look at comics. And so I went over and there was a comic book adaption of Robotech. And so I picked it up and I'm like, oh, my God, I can not watch this I cannot hear the voices I can just look at it and have to read words this is amazing I'm gonna buy this and so that opened up a whole new world for me
0: that's awesome and sorry what what age were you at this point oh
1: god third grade I was probably nine or ten so you know the perfect age to be learning about the yeah. Japanese tropes so yeah
0: yeah absolutely um and and I suppose At at that age, were you wondering um, who were the creators behind this, or were you just kind of absorbed into the comic? Uh,
1: No, I was at that age where I assumed that everyone in movies and TV just basically made up their own things and just started talking. And, you know, the director was some guy who just managed to turn on the camera.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And then when, when do you think you started to first become aware that, you know, there were actual creatives behind all of this stuff?
1: uh so yeah so after after reading a couple of robotechs i started picking up other things you know i started picking up like spider-man and x-men you know really the american superheroes at the two were huge at the time and you know i i knew them all because they were in cartoons and so that's was my my entry point into picking up comics um and so i started picking them up and i started reading them and i started really liking them and that's when i started to notice how hey they have these words at the front that they say are credits. Wait, people actually make this stuff? And so that's sort of when it occurred to me, oh, wait, people actually do this? But it never occurred to me that people actually did it for money. I just assumed, you know, they were people in their basements doing this for free. And so, you know, that's been my life goal mm-hmm. ever since.
0: <laughs> Amazing. And so when, when did you first come up with the idea that, that you do your own comics?
1: Oh, uh, so probably in middle school, uh, high school, I, again, I don't, I don't know the age differences over there, but so over here, it probably would have been about 14 or 15 is when I start coming up with them. And, you know, when you're a comic book writer, most of your time is spent trying to convince people who have actual talent to draw, to draw what you say they will. And, (laughs) <laughs> somehow convince them that's the talent of being a comic book writer. It's not actually the writing. It's convincing someone who's perfectly capable of doing a comic book without you to actually do what you say. So yeah, probably <laughs> about 14 or 15. And I, you know, I, I finagled some guy I knew into drawing comics that I would write and he thought they were funny. And like that blew my mind that anyone would think anything that I had to say was funny. It still so kind of blows
0: awesome my mind. Now. It is. It, it blows my mind away as well um, that we've we've both managed to convince people to draw 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 our ideas. Um, rather incredible. Well, yeah. Well, well now um, I give them money but, uh, to do it. And, so you know, so I, I understand that a lot to, better than I did to, when I was fourteen. Uh, present day. Um, when did you first come up with the idea for for Miskatonic High? Uh, so we started
1: working on it. I want to say 2017. We worked on it about a year before we ever brought it to Kickstarter. We did our whole first arc. So our first arc was six issues. And we finished that and shopped it around to a bunch of publishers. And, you know, if we were lucky, we got a a boilerplate rejection letter. Um, So that's when we decided, you know what, let's bring this to Kickstarter and see if we can sell about 15 copies. And so we did it for about a year before we brought it to Kickstarter.
0: That's amazing. And, you know, I mean, the publishers must be kicking themselves because it's been a massive success. Um, and uh, do you, looking back, are you happy, happier that you've ended up on Kickstarter rather than going through a publisher? Uh, I... Th- think so. I think we're much
1: happier now. It's, you know, especially when COVID hit, you started seeing all these publishers just closing up shop or hitting the pause button or just stopping. And you realized there was for the independent, the real independence, there's no reason to do that. You know, as long as you can still print mm-hmm. a comic, as, still, as long as you can still write a comic, as long as you can still draw a comic, you can still do it. And so, yeah, I, I'm really happy that we went the the very independent route. You know, I'm got to tell you, you know, on the third day of fulfillment, as I'm sticking the 500th comic in a in an envelope and sticking on the postage and trying to remember postage rates. Okay, this is 15 cents. That's 32 cents. I need another 17 cents to get it to California. But oh, wait, it's going to Southern California, so I need 14 more cents, and I need to write media mail on the outside of it. That's about the time when I'm thinking, why did I not try and find a publisher a lot harder?
0: <laughs> That's the thing. That's the the, down, the one downside of Kickstarter is is and you know I love seeing people having received the comic and kind of posting mm-hmm. pictures on uh, on Twitter and whatnot. Um, that is amazing to me that you know uh, we can make this comic, print it. Uh, send it off to Australia and then like, yeah, you know, somebody in Sydney says, oh, thanks for the comic, man. Really good. Um, But yeah, the downside is having to actually put together all the packages and (laughs) and go to the post office and kind of do all that. Like logistics as always is the the worst part of of most things.
1: Right. And that's the thing they don't tell you. So, you know, uh, you walk into Kickstarter and you've got this blind faith that, okay, all I've got to do is write the comic convince somebody else to draw it, convince somebody else to color it, convince somebody else or myself to learn how to letter this thing, convince myself how to make PDFs or do layout, convince myself to actually get this, find a printer, print this thing, get it mailed to me. Oh, wait, I'm still not done. Now I get to learn the ins and out of every postage system, you know, postal system in the entire world, just so I can get it to, you know, Timbuktu
0: oh my gosh yeah it's it's an incredible amount of work so um but it, you know at the end of the day it is it's so worth it um because oh, obviously yeah. we we've got stories in our minds that we need to get out there um but it's so rewarding seeing those rewards actually land on people's doorsteps
1: well absolutely and and I'm sure you've gone through this is you know comic book people are 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 so uh uh well screw it Uh, comic book people are so self-loathing that you that any slightest little bit of encouragement and we will magnify it 10 times you know you'll get you'll get this (laughs) two-word email response that said hey you know good and you're like wow i am the best comic book person ever i got somebody said it was good oh my god
0: that's right man that's it I I 100% agree um and uh, yeah just getting even getting that that smallest bit of feedback is like ah amazing so good Mm -hmm.
1: yeah really and you know but it also makes you completely unprepared for when people say like really nice things about you it's like you know people will say you know look this is a really good comic you know it's gone to the top of my to read list you know I read it every time I can't wait to get it and I'm like who are you and who put you up to this (laughs)
0: yeah who's paying you (laughs) (laughs)
1: because if it's me i'll go ahead and pay you just i'm I'm not getting the the (laughs) invoice for it
0: exactly man um now um we 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 go back to the local comic book shop with your zombified brain um and uh now you've kind of recollected that you uh that you really enjoyed robotech um and Mm -hmm. it's time to kind of expand those those zombified thoughts and you think to yourself what's the funniest or comic that made you laugh out loud the most
1: oh 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 yeah uh one of my favorite comics of all time and actually it is my favorite comic of all time is alan moore this this little uh comic book guy you may have heard of you may maybe not he he's not really well known um he wrote this run you know after Watchmen before League of Extraordinary Gentlemen called Supreme, and nobody's read it. You know, Supreme was this 90s image, mindless Superman clone. It was made by Rob Liefeld. And so, you know, nobody goes to a Rob Liefeld comic to read it. So, you know, everybody didn't really notice when Alan Moore was there. But he turned it into this really smart and fun Superman clone that made fun of like, all the silver age Superman nonsense, you know, he, he was the first one who brought back, you know, the idea of a flying dog. And he's the one who brought back, you know, uh, just the relationship between like uh, Superman and a super girl and, you know, how they sort of have a sibling rivalries thing going on. But, uh, but one of his issues in the Supreme run is about a dog, a super dog who goes into heat and, um, enjoy some conjugal bliss with about i don't know 50 other dogs and out pops hundreds of these super powered puppies and they're just flying over the city you know uh, uh catching and burying cars playing frisbee with manhole covers you know just completely tearing apart the 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 city you know and the citizens are like oh my god the city's being destroyed but aren't they so cute and it's just it's a wonderful funny comic and you know I'll, i'll be sitting there reading it and my wife will ask me what are you laughing at and i'm like this comic about superhero dog and he had super sex and then they had popped out all these puppies and she's just looking at me like i have turned into a space alien
0: it's it's quite a premise and and particularly for non comic book people it's uh, it's quite a reach isn't it but I mean right, absolutely. That sounds absolutely hilarious
1: right and that's sort of the great thing about comics and I, and I, and it's one of the things that I, I like about your comics and I like about my comics and I like about comics in general is just Anything can happen in comics. you know. Don't be afraid that it's got to be gory or it's got to be this or it's got to be that. Let comics be fun and just inane and silly and just go with it because you can go anywhere with it.
0: Exactly, man. That's awesome. And I, w- I was reading up on, on this a little bit on Alan Moore's Supreme Run. Um, mm-hmm. And so apparently Rob Liefeld approached Alan Moore you know, to ask him to, to write a run. Um, mm-hmm. and Moore said, um, I agree to do it as long as I can do it. I do what I want because simply just your, your comic isn't very good. <laughs> right. Like and, just <laughs> said it outright like that.
1: and, and the, and the beauty of Rob Liefeld is he's like, yeah, sure. Do whatever you want. You know, tear, throw out everything that I did. I don't care. Go ahead. You're Alan Moore.
0: Exactly. All, all credit to Rob for doing that kind of saying, okay. <laughs> fine you do what you want and we'll see what happens (laughs) right um good good on him for doing you know
1: and right and you know again it sort of goes back to sort of the spirit of kickstarter comics which is you know when you endow a creator and just say do whatever you want do whatever you want in this comic just go nuts you're going to get some amazing comics that aren't made by committee that aren't made with the idea of this has got to be turned into a movie in six months or all these other things that are kind of destroying comics you know just have fun with it let it be a comic and just go with it
0: that's awesome man that's that's a really good attitude and um i hope we can we can welcome more creators with that attitude as uh, as time goes by um, now um, moving on uh, to our next question and that you ask yourself in your zombified state. And that is, uh, what's the saddest or most upsetting comic that you've read? Um,
1: So for me, again, I, I mentioned that after I got into Robotech and as I started to get into more comics, I got into X-Men. And, you know, being an 80s kid, you know, a 90s kid, you you had to read X-Men. It's like, you know, the moment you turned 12, they started sending X-Men to your house. It's like you just had to read it. Um mm-hmm. And so again, going back, this is when I realized that there were actually people who wrote these things. And so I, I found out that there's this guy called Chris Claremont, you know, again, little comic book creator, you may have heard of him, you may not have, I don't know. <laughs> um, so anyway, he was doing the X-Men and I, and his X-Men were always full of, you know, big emotions and big explosions and, you know, a, a, a lot of angst and, you know, just a lot of stuff. And he was doing this one crossover. He did this this crossover called the Fantastic Four versus the X-Men. And supposedly Marvel approached him and said, look, you know, our publicity department says this is a good idea, so we're going to do it. Um, do you want to write it? And he's like, you're going to do a story about the Fantastic Four fighting the X-Men, and you're asking me if I want to do it? Of course I want to do it. And so he wrote <laughs> he's, it. He's going to turn that down. Right, exactly. He wants to turn that down? Um, but anyway, he did it, and you know, again, most of these miniseries from like 1986, 87 from Marvel were just, you know, they you could throw them away. They really didn't mean anything. But this one, he wrote himself, and one of the plot lines of it is Kitty Pride Shadow Cat, whatever she's called in the current X Men. She, her molecules were starting to, uh not hold together. They were starting to to drift apart and she was going to die. And the X-Men had to make a deal with Dr. Doom to save her. And she knew that the X-Men would have to be in the debt of one of the worst people in the world for the rest of their lives just to save her life. And so she decided, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm not going to make, put them in that, in that bind. You know, it's painful. I've had a good life. I'm going to go up to the morning and let the wind just drift my molecules apart. And, and that's sad enough. But then little Franklin Richards, who at the time was in like power pack and was just the kid in the Marvel universe. Everybody knew him. He was the little kid. And he comes along and he's crawling out on this ledge to try and convince Kitty to come back in to not kill herself. And he's just bawling as he's trying to do this. And it's so heroic and it's so touching and it's so 1980s, but it works so well. And I I, I, I picked it up recently and I read it again and it still gets me. I, You know, it's just one of those things where sometimes... The basic emotions can just get to you and it works no matter what format it's in, in comics or on TV or on movie or in a book. It's just when it's well written, when it's got heart, it can really get you.
0: Oh, totally, man. Like just when it it's an it's an amazing feeling when a story is able to manipulate you in such a way that you have have a an emotional response like that. Um, it, it's just, it really goes to show how, I don't know, um, how human we can, we can be, um, I guess, I don't know. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> well, and and I don't know if you've noticed this as a writer and, and maybe you can speak about your experience, but my experience has been when you're just casually out having your life and having, you know, doing whatever you're doing and you have these twinges of emotion you know whatever that gets you like oh that's a that's a cool th- story that i heard or that's something like that you store it in your like writers you know your internal writer's notebook and you're like i'm totally gonna use that in my comic you, oh man that's gonna make them cry
0: mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah, yeah definitely um I've, I've definitely got a log of um kind of you know moments that could happen and things and uh yeah i've got i've got a few that i i still want to use of course but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, it, you definitely do start to look at stories like that a little bit, don't you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, changing gears once again, um, you ask yourself, what's the scariest or most horrifying comic that you've read?
1: Right. So, uh, I came into horror later than most, you know, when I was a kid, again, you know, sci-fi superheroes, those were more my thing. I didn't I didn't really get into horror until more recently. But, you know, there's one I'm reading right now. Um, it's a really tiny um, indie horror comic. It, you know, they're only doing it online for now while they finish off the art and they're talking about trying to do a print run. And it's this little one called Natalie Unseen. And it's this paranormal investigation story but it's also like combined with um this fairy tale anthropomorphic fairy tale and how they interweave it is amazing but it's just it's also so creepy because there's this giant spider thing and it traps these people in this house and it's like like that's the kind of horror i like i don't i don't like a whole lot of gore i don't like grotesque i don't like Mean things. I like creepy. Like you know, something is gonna get you, but you don't necessarily know what. And you know, uh, it's coming, and the tension is palpable, and you can feel it for flipping page through page. And you know it's coming. You know it's coming, but it hasn't hit (laughs) you That's that's what I like about horror is that thing. Not once the monster shows up and attacks and all of that, but just that feeling of dread of creepiness that's that's really what i like about horror and so yeah i I would encourage anybody who's looking for real indie comics to search out something called natalie unseen um she's got a patreon um where they release the the pdfs and and i absolutely love it
0: that's awesome man and yeah it it takes real real talent to kind of forge a really well-written horror story in terms mm-hmm. of creating tension and anticipation, and things mm-hmm.
1: like that, absolutely,
0: yeah, man. It's uh, I, I'm I'm not sure <clears throat> I'm there yet in terms of being able to carve a story of that much anticipation and and tension. Um, but uh, may, may, maybe I'll have a go at a, a horror story one day. I don't know. <laughs> um, and the the, well, the, the, the the other one that I'm not particularly good at is. Is is comedy. I can do uh, an offhand joke here and there, but you you've managed to do both in one fell sweep. So, <laughs> pretty amazing. well. That's the that's
1: the great that's the great thing that I f- found about horror is, you know, unlike a lot of other genres like superhero, you probably know exactly what you're going to get. You know, um, romance, you know what you're going to get. You know, anime, you kind of know what you're going to get. The thing about horror is horror is as a genre. There's no setting for it. There's no one way you have to write that story. With horror, it can be absolutely anything. It could be a sci-fi story. It could be a Western story. It could be a romance story. There's funny horror. There's grotesque horror. You know, horror really is just a feeling. And so as long as you have that feeling somewhere in your comic, it can literally be anything. And, and sort of once I realized that, you know, especially with Miskatonic High was if we're doing this horror comic, we can do anything with this. You know, we can make it funny. We can make it sad. We can make it tragic. As long as there's monsters in there and the monsters don't always have to be monsters. You know, sometimes the monsters are your high school teachers or your high school bullies, or just even your friends or your family, you know, whoever these monsters are, as long as they're in there, you can get away with doing anything in a horror comic, which is so liberating. It's, 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 what i really come to love about horror in general
0: that's awesome man i'm gonna to have to have a go at, uh, at writing a horror <laughs> script at some point and see if i can convince somebody to draw it I'll yeah see. you
1: definitely should it's it's a fun genre to work
0: in definitely that's awesome man uh now uh, moving on to my favorite question and that is what is your favorite cover
1: wow You know, I I wish I had a better answer for you. See, again, I'm a comic book writer, so, you know, I don't actually look at art. I only look at the words, and, you know, I sometimes remember that there's art, too. Um, Please don't tell my artist that because he will kill me. Um, So, for me, it's that my favorite covers are the covers to my favorite comics. You know, if it's a good story, if it's a good uh, package, if it's a good... uh, if it's something that I read a lot, you know, more and more the cover just becomes iconic to me. It's like something that I look for. I'm like, that's a great cover. And somebody else will be like, what's so great about that? Because it's a great story, man. Um, you know, so, so that'll do it for me. Um, if, if you really pinned me down and said that I had to pick out a favorite cover yeah. again, I'm a, I'm a kid from the eighties and the nineties. The so Arthur Adams was always my guy. Anything, any of the the X-Men covers that he did, you know, on those annuals, on those classic X-Men. Oh man. I ate those up with a spoon. I, I, you know, I would take them to my local library, stick them in the photocopier, blow them up to, to poster size and just spend an afternoon coloring them in, you know, with my markers or whatever. And, you know, it's just, yeah, those, he was the guy for me for a long time before the image artists came along and sort of ruined comic art forever
0: (laughs) that's right um but no i mean the you can always just uh know that you can fall back on kind of childhood memories and be absorbed into that because it is so much fun to to just revisit all of that stuff like i i um now and again uh probably i don't know like maybe once every couple of months, I mm-hmm. end up just watching the, tran- the the Transformers movie, you know. Um, right. And 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 although not everybody loved it, um, like the mm-hmm. the eighties one I'm talking about. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I just I just really enjoyed it, you know, when I was a kid, and I still right. enjoy it today. And it just makes me think, like Optimus Prime is such a good guy, and I just try to aspire to be that guy, which is a weird thing to say, but hey, that, that's me.
1: Right, you know, it's it's actually, you know, it, it's it's, you know, I think that's pretty common. You know, you talk to most parents today, and they're like, "So, who are your father figures?" You know, was it Mister Rogers? You know, was it was it was it somebody like that? And they're like, "Oh no, you know, I'm just trying to be like Lion-O or I'm trying to be like uh, Optimus Prime. That's the kind of father I want to be."
0: Isn't that funny? And mm-hmm. um, apparently that that came about because of like what Reagan's. Um, uh, policies on cartoons and advertising or something mm-hmm. like you, you you could do advertising as long as it kind of had a moralistic standing or something like that um mm-hmm. so i don't know it's so it's, 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 uh, there's a documentary about it um about why there's so many kind of you know uh high moralistic stories in the 80s for cartoons and stuff um, oh yeah when, yeah that was the reason why
1: well it was it was Well, like my favorite was – so I watched a lot of G.I. Joe as a kid because, you know, again, I'm an American. Um, And so, you know, they would spend – 22 minutes blasting lasers at each other that never hit anybody you know be doing all those jingoistic you know pro-american yeah let's go kill the commies and all this and then at the at the tail end you'd have two minutes where it'd be like hey kids you know you should really try to get along with one another and you know you shouldn't touch fallen you know power lines and you know if you're swimming here's you know uh and you're worried about drowning you know here's how to how to keep yourself afloat and it's like Wait a minute! You're not fooling me. I just saw 22 minutes of violence. You're not fooling me with this two minutes.
0: (laughs) It's so funny, is it? It's so conflicting, like all of that stuff. Like, And you know, why we have
1: an entire gen? It's
0: no, No, you go go ahead, ahead,
1: Mike. No, no, you go ahead.
0: no yeah i was just saying that you know the only reason that transformers are robots is because then it could get past all of the uh all of the guidelines and things in terms of violence because it was robots on robots like you could be as violent as you want mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> i know isn't that crazy but my thing is like now we have an entire generation of of kids in the 80s and 90s who have grown up to be an ad- adult and like our entire worldview is shaped by that it's like yeah violence is awesome yeah violence is awesome uh-oh down power line you know you know what to do is you need to wander around that and that's why uh you know dads are so screwed up now it's like no wonder the the the, the next generation is just completely messed up it's because look at their dads you know their entire point of view is based upon fighting robots and you know guys who shoot lasers that can't hit each other
0: that is such a good point. Um, yeah, it, it, it's going to be an interesting century, that's for sure. hmm <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Now, uh, moving on to one of our, our most interesting questions, and that is, what's the most meaningful comic to you?
1: Uh, okay, so... So after I figured out that that comic books were actually written by people, again I found this this Alan Moore guy again. Nobody need to worry about. He, he completely disappeared in comics. Um, so <laughs> he he's absolutely brilliant. He no, he wrote Watchmen. He wrote From Hell. He wrote League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He wrote Supreme. Uh, but the one that um, again it it's that Supreme Run for me was the one that hit me, and the the reason it hit me. And continues to hit me is, you know, Alan Alan Moore has a bit of a reputation as kind of being a a surly bloke. Uh, You know, he's kind of angry at lots and lots and lots of things. And most especially comic books. Um, But with Supreme, he sort of said, you know, comic books can actually be fun. You know, And, and he went with it and he embraced the humor of it and the joy of it. And, you know... All the reasons that you love Superman, you know, Superman's kind of a square dude. He's, you know, truth, justice, the American way. And he's, you know, puts on the tights and, you know, he flies around and he saves kittens out of trees and stuff like that. And, you know, for a long time, Superman was kind of like, nobody actually wanted to say they like Superman because they thought it was, he was too lame. And for me, Alan Moore took him and he said, okay, well, look, you know, that's funny. That's, that's, there's so much humor in there and there's so much joy in there. And there's so much invention there. You know, there's an entire city inside a bottle, you know, that's, that's awesome. You know, there's this talking dog and, and, you know, he flies around and he saves people and he likes his cape and like, that's awesome. And, you know, he just, he embraced the ideas of it and the imagination of it. And it opened up my eyes to say hey look you know comics don't have to be grim and gritty and terrible things and you know girlfriends end up in refrigerators and you know lots of people die because of squid attacks in New York City and all this stuff that happened in the 80s that's so dark and depressing and I don't want to read it anymore and it's just I want to embrace the fun of comics and that's sort of what Supreme did for me and then immediately after that Moore went on to do like all his ABC comics. He did like Tom strong and top 10 and Promethea and league of extraordinary gentlemen. And it was, it was like the world sort of embraced him again and said, yeah, you know, you can write a good comic. And, you know, so that's, that's really meaningful to me is when I do comics and Ryan and I talked about this Ryan's my artist and co-creator on Miskatonic high. We talked about this when we were creating Miskatonic high was, let's do a fun comic. You know, there's enough comics out there that are commenting on the state of politics or the state of foreign affairs or all these other things. And people are tired of it and they don't, they spend so much time of their lives talking about that and reading about that and listening to that, that comics can be an escape for 22 minutes or however long it is and just give them something fun. And if they have fun with it, It'll become meaningful to them. And and that's sort of, you know, really what we've tried to do.
0: Ah, oh, you've done a stand up job, man. And it's uh it's it's great to see somebody like yourself be be so successful on uh, with with this. And uh no yeah, you're right. Um sometimes we we absolutely need um a, a proper escape from from the world around us and and, <laughs> things, and, and th- things like Miskatonic High help us do that. So moving on uh, to the next question, uh, what's the most underrated comic that you've read? Okay, so the
1: most underrated. So again, you know, I'm just going to name all the big names because apparently I'm that guy. Um, so there's this little guy named Scott McCloud who you, you you probably never heard of. You know, he, he never did anything of any importance. Um, so uh, Scott McCloud is known for understanding comics, which was for those who don't know, was the nonfiction book that came out that explained the concepts of why comics work and and how comics work, you know, between panels and words and why different art styles works and all this. And he really took a deep dive into trying to figure out, you know, just why comics work the way that they work and it became a humongous success. And he goes all over the place and he talks to lots of people and convinces them to read comics and they hate him for the rest of their life. Um, But before he did that, he wrote this little indie comic called Zot and Zot was like Astro boy, but Americanized. Um, And so he wrote this and it was this action adventure in outer space. And, you know, it was this fun comic where anything could happen and it's very zany and a lot of fun. And I, I greatly enjoyed it when I was when I was younger, um, but somewhere towards the end of his run, before just before he was about to do Understanding Comics, he wrote this arc about these school kids and these school kids. Um, how do I want to say this? They had had their adventures in outer space and were now back in an American high school and. They were a bunch of geeks and losers and oddballs. And they were having a hard time readapting to being in school. And so you would he would counterpoint all the big ac- zany action things with these really sort of kitchen sink stories about teenage angst and trying to figure out who they were in the 1980s. And, you know, he was taking on things like, you know it's going to sound trite when I say this, but he was taking on things like, you know, eating disorders and bullies and, uh, you know, sexuality. You know, there was one character who was trying to come out as gay and having a really hard time with it, but he did mm. it. And this is the thing about Scott McCloud is he did it with so much sensitivity and so much caring and compassion. Cause he's a genuinely good person that it came through on the page and it just, it broke my heart reading it and it's like, Oh my goodness, this is so good. And I've tried to get so many people to read it and they read the zany stuff at the beginning and they're like, eh, I don't really like zany and they throw it out and they never get to these stories. And it's so good. And it's, and it's influenced me the way I write to say, you can do whatever you want in terms of action, in terms of adventure, in terms of horror. But if you get just a little bit of the right emotion in there, it can ramp up your comic to the next level and just once people fall in love with these characters as real characters they will follow you no matter where you go whatever you do they will love these characters forever
0: oh absolutely man it's <clears throat> it's great uh, when you come come across a, a comic like that where <clears throat> it's just you feel who the characters are um Mm -hmm. and uh yeah you always feel like you know them it's really cool isn't Mm -hmm. it yeah it's like
1: you can tell you know a lot of comics and a lot of movies and a lot of this the characters only exist so that they can do whatever the plot requires them to do you know Mm -hmm. but you know for when the writer takes a next step and says you know here's this character here's here's the the way that i do it is if somebody tells me something is well written you know or a character is well written i say okay you know what does that character do when they're not wearing the superhero tights what is that character doing when they're not running around saving the universe you know what are the movies they like what are what are their activities that they like to do you know who are their who are their Family, who did they go home and see, you know? Did they take out more after their mom or did they take more after their dad? You know, like once you start getting into that, you realize how shallow characters can be, but also the really good writers and what they're putting into it that makes those characters come alive.
0: Absolutely, man. And they, they, those are great questions to ask yourself as a creator. Um, trying to think of, yeah, what, what's their day-to-day like? um and yeah just so, as you say just all those like their hobbies <laughs> basically um that's really that's a really good uh good uh exercise for for creators i guess
1: yeah absolutely because like again so many of them it's just like meh. you know it it doesn't matter what they when they do when they're not here because all that matters is that you know if, you know there's there's blades coming out of their 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 um knuckles or whatever you know it's like why do they need more character than that you know he's 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 a berserker what do you need that's all the character i need
0: (laughs) it's funny isn't it um now um moving on Mm -hmm. to our most difficult question um for you Uh what is the best comic of all time (laughs) okay
1: the best comic for all time uh, I mean, you could go with all the normal ones. Again, I'm an Alan Moore fan, so I, I have to say an Alan Moore comic. Otherwise, they take my my Alan Moore fan card away from me. um <laughs> But I'm not going to go with the normal one. So normally, people will tell you that that Watchmen is is his best. But for me, I've always liked V for Vendetta. You know, it's I when I went into a comic book shop to buy V for Vendetta, I had been out of. I had stopped reading comics for a few years and I was looking around at the shelves and everything looked exactly like everything else. You know, it's, it's hard to tell what's good or bad from a comic book cover. At least I've found, and I was looking at V for Vendetta and V for Vendetta doesn't look like anything else. You know, it, it, it looks weird. It's got very British style art and sensibility about it. It's very dark and Grim and dirty. And I was looking at the back of the book, reading about it to try to decide whether I was going to buy this or not. And it on it it said, This is everything that comics aren't supposed to be. You know, hmm. it's it's about the world. It's dystopian at a time before dystopian, you know, took over, you know, the young adult market. You know, it's interesting and it's a very specific point of view. And after I read it and had read more about Alan Moore, I realized how personal it was for him. And it's about taking personal responsibility for the entire world on your shoulders and saying, okay, look, all the bad things that people are doing, you're allowing them to do it. And it just, it was a really powerful comic for me at a time when I really needed a powerful comic to bring me back into comics. And, uh, you know, seeing the world as it is now, with governments and corporations and all this, and I'm getting really heavy, but you know, that concept of someone taking personal responsibility for themselves and for the entire world becomes more and more and more relevant. Every time I turn around, and it—it's it, not surprising to me that Anonymous and other groups have picked up the Guy Fox Max masks because of V for Vendetta and how important that idea is. So, for me, I'm going to say that's the best comic of all time.
0: That's awesome, man, and it's a—it's uh, a timely choice uh, with with the state of the world at the moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Get on, yeah. Awesome. Uh, now, uh, if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, uh, which would it be? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I, I've already talked about Supreme to death, so I'm not going to talk about that one anymore. So I will tell you probably the second one that I would take with me, um, and one I revisit a lot. And it's a comic by uh, Rumiko Takahashi, who did Ranma one half, and she did um, you know, some of the other uh, Inuyashu and she, you know, has made TV shows and all this. and But she did this one called Mason Okokua. And it's, it's kind of a kitchen sink romantic comedy. It's about this kind of layabout college student who's no good at college. And he's living in this poor tenant house. And he can barely get by. And the tenants all make fun of him and, you know, play pranks on him. And suddenly there's this new apartment manager at the boarding house where he lives. And... He completely falls head over heels in love with her and turns out that she's a widow and that she's recovering from her own thing. And it's just, it's hysterical how it all fits together. Again, the characters become so alive, become so real that you just get so swept up in their story. And you know, you can have fun with it and it can be wacky. And that's the thing, you know, again, if your characters are good People will go to the ends of the earth with you, wherever you go in your story. You know, it can be wacky, it can be zany. You can do whatever you want with them, as long as the characters remain true. People will buy it, and that and I absolutely bought into this. And you know, the it it was my first real. Um, manga comic that i fell in love with and it's the one that still means so much to me so i I reread it all the time and you know i i I have it upstairs um i can't i can't read it backwards i'm sorry i can't read japanese style you know so i have the old Mm. comics when they first came out when when manga first came out here they flipped everything around like in photoshop so that it was the right way so i have I can only read it in the old comic book form because they don't make books like that anymore cuz everything has to be read Japanese style now. So I mm. I I custom bound these old comic books into gigantic hardcover books that sit on my shelves and oh, I adore them. Wow. They're my favorite.
0: Mm-hmm. That's cool, man. Get on you for mm-hmm. doing that. <laughs> like proper making your own 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 uh, hardcover uh books that's crazy that's awesome
1: (laughs) yeah well and to be perfectly honest that's kind of how i got into comics is i actually learned how to hard uh uh, hard cover bind myself so you learn how to sew the books together you learn how to glue them together you learn how to apply the cover together and like the actual physical process of making a comic was so cool to me that it's like okay well I've run out of comics to buy and now I'm gonna to have to make my own. So I started making my own.
0: That's cool, man. That's wicked. Wish uh wish I had that <laughs> initiative when I was younger. <laughs> awesome. Uh now uh, along uh with uh with Maze on Ikuku, um what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take into the apocalypse with you? well,
1: as as we clearly learned from Covid nineteen that if you're going into an apocalypse, there's there's one thing that you need more than anything else, and that's clearly toilet paper. Because if you don't have toilet paper, you are utterly screwed. So I am going to take toilet paper with me because I can I can sell it for money or cigarettes or you know uh, diesel you know what, petrol whatever I need you know clearly toilet paper is going to be the 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 new currency for this post apocalyptic
0: world. Undoubtedly, man, you'll be the toilet paper king. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah the the man who has the toilet paper is the man who will be king
0: <laughs> yep mm-hmm. tp king <laughs> I, i'm just thinking of beavis and butthead now i can't help but think of beavis and butthead <laughs> <laughs> and why shouldn't you TV for my battle <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to put i'm tempted to put my t-shirt on top of my head but i won't
1: <laughs> <laughs> see now the thing is you're going to go back and you're going to start watching beavis and butthead again
0: one hundred percent. I well I'm I'm, yeah. I'm at least gonna YouTube that scene and then yeah, I'm
1: good. <laughs> yeah, somebody at your workplace is gonna be like, Are you watching
0: Beavis and Butthead over there? Yeah, uh
1: yeah, it's it's just for a podcast.
0: Exactly. The research, research, it's fine. <laughs> awesome man. Uh well, Mike Shea, thank you so much for sharing your comics with the apocalypse today. It's been a real pleasure.
1: It's been a pleasure for me. I I really do. And, you know, I got to say this because I've been doing it and and I back your comics every time they come out and I read them every time I go out and they always go to the top of my pile. And that'll be five quid, please.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Thank you very much. I'll I'll PayPal that to you just now. Um, But, uh, Mike, thank you so much. And for the listeners one more time, where can they find you online?
1: Uh, so we are at Miskatonic, hi, M-I-S-K-A-T-O-N-I-C, High, H-I-G-H, comic.com. Um, or you can find me on Kickstarter or you can find me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or, you know, out on the corner just peddling my comic for, you know, loose pocket change.
0: <laughs> for Twitter, Michael. <paper. laughs> <laughs> yeah um well um again mike thank you so much uh for your time today and uh hopefully our paths will cross at some point um in a in a uh a comic con of some description uh, whatever form they'll take in the future um <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, if you're ever in the uk make sure that that uh you get in touch
1: absolutely well yeah it's been so much fun thank you so much samuel
0: awesome mike all right dude well you take care and uh i'll see you on twitter Thanks again to Mike for being on Comics for the Apocalypse today. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will it let me know that you liked it, but, 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 but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Mike's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene Magazine's website at comicscene.org for comic news and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Take care, stay safe, and bye for now.